Amen. It's so good to see you this morning. Let me ask you a question. We're trying to get a glimpse of God in, the, in, in these days. I want to ask you a question. What comes to your mind when you think of the mercy of God? What comes to your mind when you think of the mercy of God? I, uh, I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not so sure that mercy isn't a neglected characteristic of God. And I say that because I believe uh, mercy is as, as much as we all know it and, and, and believe it and, and, and have experienced it even more than we even know that we've experienced it. Yet I believe mercy is the, the, the neglected characteristics of God. Are we working back there, guys, or are we frozen? Let's go to the next slide, if you would. All right, great. There you go. Thank you. Um, I believe mercy is the neglected characteristic of God. But did you know the Bible mentions mercy 276 times? And grace 170. Now, there's no competition between mercy and grace. They're in perfect harmony. But we, make it, we, we, we rightfully make a lot of the power of God and the wisdom of God and the knowledge of God and the grace of God. But I believe that mercy might be the neglected characteristic of God. Mercy, however, precedes all other attributes. Mercy precedes all other attributes as it relates to God connecting to human beings. If you would allow me to... Uh, use a baseball analogy this morning, if, if the characteristics of God are the lineup, mercy bats first. And there's two outs. And if mercy strikes out, we never get His grace. If mercy strikes out, we never get His power and His wisdom. And, and if it were up strictly up to the holiness of God, His holiness would have kept us separate. If it strictly was up to the justice of God, His justice would have punished us. If it was strictly up to to His power, He would have consumed us, but for the mercy of God. Perhaps mercy, rather, if grace is the flower, mercy is the stem. And, And perhaps mercy is not valued because it is both free and familiar. Mercy is like the air we breathe. We can't live without it, but we've always had it. We do, we do nothing to attain it. Most days we go on without ever thinking about it. But if the atmosphere in which we live were to change, we would all die instantly. And did you know that is grace? Grace is not an instant. It's not, an, it's not merely an instant. It's not merely an incident. Grace, or mercy rather, is an existence as a matter of fact, the air we breathe is the grace of God, mercy of God. How many of you know this morning that if it weren't for the mercy of God, you wouldn't have woke up? Some of you kind of wish you'd have stayed right there, don't you? Trust me, the option's not good. If it weren't for the mercy of God, certainly we would. But, but I believe with it, with it being free and familiar like air, I'll, I'll bet none of us woke up this morning and popped out of bed and said, I wonder, wonder if there's any oxygen here today. Almost say, honey, stick your head out the door and see if there's any oxygen out there. See if we're going to make it. 
I'm, 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 I'm here to talk to us, and, and this has been my prayer, to talk to us about the mercy of God. I, my prayer this week has first been for myself, and that is, Lord, would you remove the veneer over the mercy of God for me? Because mercy is one of those things for the Christian and for those in the church world, it sort of gets glazed over. It gets a veneer, and it's sort of just like, oh yeah, the mercy of God. As a matter of fact, most of our lingo in relationship to mercy goes like this, you know, uh, Lord, have mercy. Or mercy me. We ought to start a singing group by that name, by the way. If anybody ever does, I said it first. Our lingo is almost in jest when it comes to mercy. And I'm praying, Lord, would you remove the veneer of mercy so that I can know it and experience it in a fresh and a new way. And my prayer this morning is that you who come in here today, those online, those in the chapel, that God will remove the veneer and we will see and experience afresh and anew the mercy of God. Talk about it. Let's talk about it for a few moments this morning. There's a there's a uh, there's a ship named Mercy. Did you know that? I suspect that given the creative uh, backgrounds of our church people at East Lake, I'm waiting on somebody to come up today after one of the services and say I captained that ship. I was the uh, uh, or I worked on that ship. So this is a fleet of ships known the known as the Mercy ships. I think there's three or four. Only one. This is Mercy Africa right here. And this is the only one in service, but they've been in service since 1978. This ship has visited 581 ports all over the world. You can go to their website and you can see they have all the statistics on the population of the world and how the majority of people in the world live near a coastal area. And these, these ships go in when there's a tsunami or when there's an earthquake or when there's a tragedy or during war or something like that. These ships will go in to provide help to hurting to the hurting, they'll sell wherever devastation has taken place, wherever has been loss of life, property, homes, and livelihood. The ship stays, it pays its own way. The ship stays as long as is necessary, but it floats and it sails around the world, around the, the, the world by the ocean, and, the, and that's the way mercy is. Mercy continues to travel around the globe, coming to those who are desperate, appearing without their appeal and without their ability to pay. It comes to relieve their misery. Like the traveling hospital that uh, continually sails the water, so God's mercy travels and covers all lands and all people, never stopping, never ceasing to bring mercy to those who are in need. That's the mercy of God. Aren't you glad for God's mercy ship? This is, this is the mercy of God. What do you think about when you think about the mercy of God? You know, someone, we, 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 you've, you've heard it said before, boy, the Lord needs to have mercy on them. How many, no, I'm not going to ask you that. I was going to say, how many of you said that about your spouse today? <laughs> or maybe you said the Lord better have mercy on you. But the reality is mercy, I, I believe mercy in some ways has become has become mundane, and I want it to be meaningful to us. So how does that happen? I want you to turn with me to Psalm 86, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hurry. I've, the Lord's already given me the path to get to the end of this um, uh, and, and what to say in this service this morning. Psalm 86, it's a prayer of David that was carried around. He carried with him, and, and it's a prayer 
that is just powerful. And as a matter of fact, I would encourage you to print this off and put it on your refrigerator. It's a beautiful prayer. But David knew something about the mercy of God. And when David spoke of the mercy of God, he wasn't using cute quotes and, and, and nice little rhyming things. David was talking about something that he knew a whole lot about. I want to I read that. Uh, let's just read Psalm 86 and try to discover the power of the mercy of God in our lives. Let's quickly read it. Number, uh, verse number one. Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Now, this was the king of the nation. Notice how he characterizes himself. This is a man who has a proper perspective of his own standing before God and his desperate need of God. I am poor and needy. Preserve my life, for I am godly. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for to you do I cry all the day. Gladden the soul of your servant, for to you, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. Listen to my plea for grace. In the day of my trouble, I call upon you, for you answer me. There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, there are, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name, for you are great and you do wondrous things. You alone are God. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever. For great is your steadfast love. He actually translates stead, uh, the word mercy, the Hebrew word for mercy, four times in this passage, and it appears two or three times as steadfast love. So for your great is your steadfast love or your mercy towards me. You have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol, O God, insolent men have risen up against me. A band of ruthless men seeks my life, and they do not set you before them. But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Turn to me and be gracious to me. Give your strength to your servant and save the son of your maidservant. Show me a sign of your favor that those who hate me may see and be put to shame because you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. In, in Exodus chapter 34, they asked the Lord, what is your name? Who are you? How are you going to identify yourself? And he says, he uses the, 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 the two, two names for himself, Jehovah and Adonai. But he says, I am that I am. And then this, this is the first thing God says about himself. I am a merciful God. I'm a merciful God. Four times in this passage of Scripture, David refers to the mercy of God. Two or three times it's translated, your loving kindness. But let's, how, do we, how do we get the veneer off of the mercy of God so that it becomes real to us today and it means something more than just a nice spiritual phrase? Let's just talk about that for a couple minutes. And I'm going to just mention the first one, hop over the second one a little bit, touch the third one, and come sliding into home, all right? To continue my baseball analogies. Mercy becomes meaningful when we understand what mercy actually is. Do you need mercy this morning? Say, well, maybe not as bad as this person or that person. Do we need mercy? When we understand what mercy... Someone came to me after the first service. Would you pray with me about a loved one that I'm going to visit this week? They do not believe they need the mercy of God. That's because they don't know what mercy is. 
There's many words in the Bible that are translated into the word mercy. But they all sort of combine, come up with these concepts. Here's the concepts that make up the meaning of the word mercy. Let me give them to you. They, it's, it's the concept of undeserving. So it's two parties and, and, and the, it, has, it carries with it the connotation of this relationship being one-sided. It's a one-sided relationship. In other words, the one, one party deserves nothing. And yet mercy extended to that person is totally, is goodness totally undeserving. They, maybe they deserve that which is punishment, that which is dark, but they receive that which is good. And the mercy is, is a one-sided relationship. So we don't earn it. I, I believe there's a story uh, about a soldier, maybe Napoleon's army, that, that, was, that, was, uh, that abandoned his army. And, and, and when, when they caught him, they took him before Napoleon, and, and, and uh, the Napoleon said, uh, I, I can't let him go. He has not earned it. And the mother was there, and she said, would you please show mercy on my son? He said, I can't because he hasn't earned it. She said, if he earns it, it's not mercy. Because mercy has to do with this one-sided, undeserving. It has to do with pity and compassion. It's pity, compassion, it's forgiveness, it's, it's, it's what I don't deserve. The New Testament word has to do with, the New Testament word for mercy is goodness and kindness toward the miserable and afflicted, joined with a desire to relieve them. And all of these things, we, we understand what mercy is. We know the basic definition. You know, mercy is, is not getting what I do deserve, and, and, and grace is getting what I don't deserve. Mercy is my child disobeys and I don't punish them to the level they should have been punished. Instead, I take, and grace is, I take them to Krispy Kreme and give them a dozen donuts. Right? Mercy is removing the punishment. Grace is adding jelly-filled donuts to the scenario. So we understand. But there's an interesting, the word that David is used in this, in this scripture this morning is a word that is translated, as I've already mentioned, translated loving kindness. And here, it's a word that, it's, it's the word for mercy. And here's what it means. It means a covenant, a loyal covenant relationship. An undeserved, loyal covenant relationship. Baker Dictionary says, Mercy comes to be seen then as the quality in God that directs him to forge a relationship with people who absolutely do not deserve to be in relationship with him. Not much unlike some of you dudes sitting with your wife today and me, we don't deserve her. Ladies, that was a perfect tee up for amen. Now there you go. You were a little late. Right? But mercy is God forging ahead with a relationship with people who absolutely do not deserve to be in a relationship with Him. You ever been you ever been you ever you ever been in a place you don't you don't deserve to be? I was invited a few years ago to go over to the 4 H Center for something. I didn't fully understand what it was, but they did tell me to wear a sport jacket, which I was thankful when I got there. And I remember thinking it was just a little shindig over at the, over at the 4-H center. And the, the couple that invited me, she has since passed away, but she invited me and her husband was kind of leading the ceremony. It was the dedication of the shooting range over there, if you've ever been over the 4-H center. I got there, they, she, she took me to the, I sat on the front row with the governor, the president of Virginia Tech, uh, 
forgive me for saying this if this offends you. But anyways, Wayne LaPierre, who was the president of the NRA, <laughs> congressman. And I'm, st- I'm like, what am I doing up here? And then they said, you know, we're going to take a tour. And there was two or three hundred people there. And they took the front row. Me, the schmuck, and all these other people. And I'm rubbing shoulders. I'm just acting like I belong. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) I have no business being there. Did you know mercy is God choosing to rub shoulders with us? And we have no business in his company. We have no business in his company. Mercy... Mercy is God's undeserved loving kindness, His undeserved long-suffering, His undeserved compassion that He gives to us. Mercy is at work in our lives at all times. Mercy means second and third and fourth and fifth chances. Mercy is to be sought and is obtainable for greater needs, as David shows us in Psalms 86. And did you know, I believe, that when we get to heaven, God's going to perhaps open up, the, open up the curtain of history, and He's going to allow us to see how much His mercy is at work in our lives right now. Did you know if it weren't for the mercy of God right now? We, we, we sang a few minutes ago, we look back at some of the things, and that's great. Those are moments of mercy and faithfulness that God has poured into our life. But did you know that mercy is the sustaining atmosphere of every one of our lives? And if it weren't for the mercy of God this moment, we would be extinguished? A gentleman who attends church here, he was in the last service. He gave me permission this morning early. I was praying this morning early. I thought about this story. And I said, I got in touch with him. I said, Mike, can I tell this story? And he said, sure, you can tell it. And I messed up one detail. It's ATF, not FBI. But he was ATF. And he was undercover for many years. He's got all kinds of cool names and fake IDs and anything. He's retired now. He lives here at the lake. He told me I could tell this story. He said, He told me not long ago, he said, I was working a deal. Somebody had tipped me off, and I was working to sell machine guns to this guy, trade machine guns to this guy for cocaine. No, yeah, I was going to give him machine guns, and he was going to give me cocaine, or vice versa. I forget, but he's ATF, undercover, working this deal. And he said, we talked, and we corresponded back and forth, and we set up a time. We're going to meet, make the deal, then he was going to go to prison. He said, I'm in church on Sunday morning, standing at the bottom of the stairs, dropping my two kids off in Sunday school, and I look up to the top of the stairs, and there's the dude that we've been scouting out, and I'm going to be meeting this week and trading guns for cocaine in church. He said, I spun around on my heels, and I said to somebody, didn't have cell phones, he said, I just said, tell my wife I had to leave. He had to get out of there. He said he decided to go ahead and get the warrant. And go blow up the house, in a, with, we'll say blow it up in a way that go in and get the guy and go ahead and arrest him. He had, enough, he had enough to arrest the guy. So he said he got his team together and he went out to where the, where the house was. And as he drove by the, they drove by the house, they were going to kick the door. They were, he said we drove by the house and on the front porch sets an older man with the Bible having a quiet time. He said, we, I called my pastor. He said, this guy was at church, and this guy on the porch, and the pastor said, yeah, that's a, that's a wonderful couple who loves the Lord. Their son's been wayward, broken their hearts. But he said, you know, funny you called me about him. He said, that, they brought their son. I ran into their son at McDonald's just, just the other day, and he came and met with me, and I led their son to the Lord. Now, this is where it gets crazy. Mike, Mike says, we had, we had a, I had a whole SWAT team. We were going to get him. And he said, we all said, what do you think? He said, we went... We tore up the warrant, 
shredded it, never contacted him again via text, didn't respond to anything, just let it go. And I have a funny feeling when that guy gets to heaven, the Lord's going to say, come here, bro, let me show you something. If it weren't for the mercy of God, you wouldn't be here. And you know what? It's, it's amazing to think. It's amazing to think about that guy. But I think, I think there's going to be a long line of people. As a matter of fact, I think every person who's ever lived is going to be in that line. And as soon as that guy that was going to do cocaine and machine gun steps out, the Lord's going to say, hey, Troy, come here. Let me show you something. If it weren't for the mercy of God, you wouldn't be here. Hey, Curtis, come here. If it weren't for the mercy of God and every one of us, that is our story. Right now, we do not know the mercy of God that is working on our behalf right now. There are moments, there are moments in time where you've had this happen where, where if, if the circumstance had just been a little bit different, your life would have been in a much more difficult place, but for the mercy of God. The mercy of God is that undeserved. It's not that I'm aware of it. It's not that I'm deserving of it. It's not that I'm somehow negotiating a a better deal with God for mercy. No, mercy is the undeserved goodness and favor of God in our lives that we never see coming. Mercy starts with God and God will have the last say of mercy. We're going to stand before God at the judgment and we're going to stand there with the blood of Christ, but yet we're going to stand before God Almighty and once again, the last act, He's going to have mercy on us and let us into the heavenly kingdom. He's having mercy on us right now. He's having mercy on us this afternoon. He's having mercy. God is a merciful God. This undeserved forging ahead with a relationship that we do not deserve. Let me just quickly run to the, run to the close here. Mercy becomes meaningful when I understand how desperate, desperately I need it. David describes himself as a poor and needy. He asks the Lord to preserve him, to save him, to be gracious to him. He tells the Lord, I'm crying. He says, the Lord, this is my day of trouble. Teach me, Lord. Evil men have risen up against me. Give your servants. Show me a sign of your favor. What is he doing? He's telling the Lord. He knows how desperately he needs this covenant love of the Lord to act on his behalf. He was constantly in need of God's mercy. Mercy becomes meaningful when I remember my previous experiences of mercy. David goes through here, and he's not, again, quoting cute little things. David is going down through here in verse 5. He says, you, O Lord, are good and forgiving. What he's doing is he's building a case from history on why God can and will help him in in the present day. In verse 5, he said, Lord, you can help me. You are a good and a forgiving God. You're a God of mercy. And I have a feeling that when David said that, David was thinking about 2 Samuel chapter 12, when David had just committed adultery with his neighbor's wife and then concocted to have the neighbor, the husband of the wife that he had committed adultery with, David had it concocted for that man to be killed so that he could take the wife as his own. And he covered it all up. And the doorbell rings in 2 Samuel chapter 12. And he answers the door with all of his pomp and circumstance. And he says, yes, Nathan, the prophet of God. And Nathan said, hey, David, I got a little story for you. Did you know there was this rich man who had a lot of cattle? Poor man had one sheep. They lived next door. The rich man had a feast. He came and got the poor man's sheep, fixed it for his guests. What should we do with the rich man? And the king says, oh, that man must surely die. And you know the story, right? And David said, you're that man. You're that man, David. And David was smitten. And David said, I'm going to die. 
And listen to what Nathan said in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 13. And Nathan said to David, no, the Lord has put away your sin. You will not die. And I think when David said, God, I need mercy because you're a God who's good and forgiving. And you're a God of, I think David was thinking about 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 13. Lord, I was in desperate need of mercy. I deserve to die. But you set me free. In chapter 86, verse Eight, there's none like you, merciful, none merciful like you among other gods. David had compared the gods of the pagan gods, and even though they were, it was only a theology of them because they were not alive, yet they were brutal. But he said, God, you're merciful. In verse 10, he said, you do great and wondrous things. I believe David was thinking about the mercy that God had poured into his life as a little boy when he was called to go take some stuff to his brothers. And there was a giant and David went out before Goliath. And you know what David understood? David understood he didn't kill Goliath. David understood the goodness and the mercy of God acting in his life allowed him to have that victory. And in verse 10, when he said, you do great and wondrous things, he's thinking about some of this stuff. In verse 13, he says, you have delivered my soul from the depths of the grave. And I believe David was thinking about the mercy of God that acted on his behalf when the king and his men were seeking to kill David. David knew that his whole life was nothing more than the tapestry of the mercy of God on his behalf. Can I tell you something this morning? We, we, we now look through a glass darkly. We don't see clearly, but there's coming a day we're going to see. And if we are... If God is gracious enough and we by faith receive the salvation that God has provided to all of us, someday we're going to look back and go, oh my word. The moment we feel like we're doing God a favor, oh, we're, you know, God's really blessed to have us. No, 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 no. We're like David, the king says, Lord, I'm poor and needy. I am poor and needy. And we're going to recognize that our whole life, our whole life has just been mercy to mercy, to mercy, to mercy. And I can tell you that as a personal testimony, as I'm sure you can as well. David was appealing to the mercy of God once again because he had experienced it in the past. Finally, mercy is meaningful when I, when I by faith, believe God for it and receive it once again. David says in verses 16 and 17, Turn to me and be gracious. Give your strength to your servant. And save the son of your maidservant. Show me a sign of your favor that those who hate me may see. And because you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. I want to close with this picture. And the musicians are coming. So you know what this is, perhaps. In the Old Testament, in the tabernacle, first set up the tabernacle, there was the, uh, the tabernacle contained the, the holy of holies. So there were several layers to it. But at the very essence, at center of the tabernacle, was what is called the Holy of Holies. And in the Holy of Holies was the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant contained the Ten Commandments. It contained some manna that had fallen in the desert. And it contained Aaron's rod. And the lid of the, of the Ark of the Covenant was, was that piece that's elevated there on top. It was called the Mercy Seat. And the Old Testament, the dwelling place of God, The presence of God hovered just above the mercy seat. It was the most sacred place. It was God saying to humankind, God saying, I am am on earth and there's coming a day where I'm going to dwell with you and in you, but here's where I am now. And the only way God and man could come together 
was in this place. Once a year, the high priest would perform the sacrifice. He would take the blood of the sacrificial lamb. He would go into the Holy of Holies and he would sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat. And the, and the, and the mercy seat represented the throne of God from which flowed the justice or the mercy of God. And the sacrifice is done according to the law of Moses. The sacrifice is performed just as God had prescribed in the law of Moses. Brought about the mercy of God for the people of Israel. Each year on the day of atonement. This is what went down. Next year they would do it again. Next year they would do it again. Next year they would do it again. It was where the presence of God and sinful, the holy God and sinful men came together and blood was shed and blood was poured out and, and, and the mercy responded by God. The, his mercy was a res, response to the sacrifice. And you know the story. In Jesus, John said, Behold the Lamb of God which brings away, takes away the sin of the world, right? And Jesus lived and died, was buried. And when Jesus died, you know the story that the veil that shrouded this room, the veil in the temple was torn from top to bottom. And the blood of Christ covered the mercy seat. And now the presence of God doesn't dwell in that room or that room or in some secret closet around here. The presence of God dwells in every heart that has the blood of the Lamb applied to their heart. As a matter of fact, there's a sort of a beautiful image in John chapter 20 where the ladies went to the tomb to see Jesus and He had risen, of course. And there is His tomb. And standing on one end of the tomb was an angel. And standing on the other end of the tomb was an angel. It looked a lot like that mercy seat right there. And the the perfect, sinless, spotless Son of God shed His blood so that the presence of God no longer dwells in tents made by hands, but it dwells in the heart and the life of men and women who have the blood of Jesus Christ applied. So then in Hebrews, which does a beautiful description of all of this in in the 13 chapters in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 4 says this. Go to the next slide, Mikhail. Let us then, with confidence, boldness, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So now, our heart is the mercy seat. Our heart as believers is the mercy seat. And God is anxious and eager and willing to pour out the undeserved favor of God to all of those who by faith have received Christ and like David cry out, Lord, show me a sign of your favor. And the sign of our favor, the sign of God's favor today is not God creating something unique for us. It is the sign that God sent His Son who lived, died, was buried, rose again, and God sent His Holy Spirit, and His Holy Spirit lives within us. And through His Holy Spirit, He can do miracles in our life. And He has mercy. How many of you know that every day we need mercy for new battles? Anybody need mercy for new battles? You know what the Bible says about mercy? The Bible says His mercy is new every morning every morning I want you to stand with me this morning as we close I want to just simply take a moment and say Lord we need mercy maybe you're here today you've never been saved you've never been saved and you say Lord I need mercy because I'm a sinner and I've, 
I need to be forgiven. Can I tell you, the Lord, will, it's not anything you can do to deserve it. It's nothing you can do. But you can cry out for it, and God will have mercy on you. The Bible says he will have mercy, and he will abundantly pardon. Maybe you've had a really bad week or a bad spell of weeks where you've just kind of gotten lost and gotten off track, and you need the mercy of God this morning. Maybe you've got a family problem, situation or problem that needs the mercy of God. Or you have children that are lost or grandchildren that need the mercy of God. You know what? We can enter right in. Now, that high priest, when he went into the holiest of holies, they had a tether on his ankle. Just in case he did something wrong, he would die and they would have to pull him out. There was no one going in there. Now the door is open. Every one of us can walk right into the presence of God by the power of Jesus and say, Lord God, I need your help this morning. I want you just to do this. If you need mercy this morning, raise your hand. Would you say, Lord, I need your mercy? Just hold it up and let's pray and cry out to him. Lord, I need your mercy this morning. Just tell him, Lord, I need mercy. And just tell him what it's for. Oh, God, we pray this morning that your power and your grace and your mercy would be extended to us, your people. Lord, we, like David, we are poor and needy. Lord, we need strength. Lord, tears have filled our eyes. Lord, brokenness abounds in our world and in our hearts and our families. And we need your mercy this morning. Lord, we know that no, we can't, behave well enough for you to give us more mercy we know that your mercy is new every morning to your children and so we rely upon it and we pray for new and powerful mercy this morning to do the work in our lives and our families oh god i pray that you would you would give us a sign of your favor as as david prayed but we know that paul prayed that that you would give us the spirit and the spirit would bear witness with our spirit that we are children of god Lord, would the Spirit bear witness with our spirit this morning the work that needs to be done. Oh God, we need Your mercy today. We cry out for You, Lord. I pray today for every hurting soul. Every hurting soul in here in the chapel online. I pray for every hurting soul. And may by faith, Lord, we appropriate the mercy and the grace that You have extended to us. And we do it in the name of Jesus. Amen. For more information about Eastlake Community Church, please visit us online at eastlake-church.com or find us on your favorite social media platform at EastlakeSML. Thanks for joining us.